Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, several weeks ago when we were walking through our liturgy, we talked about how we have such a hard time holding both the transcendence and the imminence of God together. God is holy. God is other. God is above us. And God is also near. God is human. God is our friend. God is not a disinterested, removed, Zeus-like mythological character. But God is also not Santa Claus. We get this all pulled together in Jesus in the Hebrews reading today. I want to just list off for you a number of the things that we heard, and there was so much in that language, it probably was a little overwhelming. But Hebrews told us that long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but then in these last days, God has spoken through his Son. Jesus is the ultimate pinnacle way that God speaks to the world. All of the prophets and all of the Old Testament somehow lead us to Jesus. And if we don't hear the Hebrew scriptures as a testament to Jesus, then we're not hearing them in their fullness. Jesus is God's fullest revelation. So we said often over and over again, if you want to know what God is like, you begin by looking at Jesus. Hebrews says that God has appointed Jesus as heir of all things, that all of the nations of the world and all of creation literally belongs to Jesus. It's part of what we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord of all, that everything that exists belongs to Jesus. But we don't only find our end in Jesus. Jesus isn't only the one who sums everything up as the heir in the end. Hebrews tells us that Jesus actually is our beginning. Through whom, Hebrews says, he, Jesus, or God, through Jesus, through Jesus, God also created the worlds. So we don't only find our end in Jesus... We also find our beginning. This is the, the, the place where the scriptures lead us to this idea that some theologians talk about Jesus as the cosmic Christ. God's action in the world, and this is kind of mind-bending, but God's action in the world has always in some way been through Jesus. Jesus. God created the world and all that is in the world. God created each of us in Jesus. We don't have to exactly understand that. It's just something that we hear and it sort of plays with our imagination. We wonder, what might that mean? For in Jesus, Colossians said, for in Jesus the Son, all things were created 
things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. So the truth is that we are never far from God. Even if we insist that we are far from God, even if we feel far from God, even if we want nothing to do with God at all. In the truest sense, we are actually never far from God because we were created in Jesus, in God. And this is why it's such a tragedy or a disaster to spend our life running away from Jesus. Because if we're running away from Jesus, we're running away from our true self. We're running away from who we really are. And then Hebrews says that this son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. Some versions use the word reflection. That Jesus reflects back to us the grandness of the mystery and beauty of God. I think the word radiance is even better, though, because... Radiance means that something that is true is being extended. In our, uh, in our little cottage house that we bought a few years ago, one of the many things I love about it, in addition to the creaky floors, is that we have radiators that heat the house. And I've never lived in a house that had radiators before. And it's kind of amazing because when they kick on, at least when they work, and they kick on, they, like, make sounds and they pop and just... And then the warmth around them is like, I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's just way different than sort of warm air coming out of a vent. And those of you who have radiators know what I'm talking about. It's like this heat that is, that is coming up from this like 50-year-old boiler that I'm probably soon going to have to replace <laughs> is literally radiating throughout the house. The wonder and goodness and mercy, and beauty, and kindness, and holiness, and power of God's own very being is actually radiating into the world in Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation or the exact image of God, Hebrews says. The image there is, is like a piece of metal or a, a piece of, uh, of melting wax where you'd have a stamp and you would press it and it would form. And once you take the stamp away, what is formed is exactly like what was stamped into it. That is Jesus. Some of us have a very difficult time understanding what God is like, and that's to be understood. If we, Augustine said, if we think we understand God, we can rest assured we do not. But if you want to know what God is like, you get to know Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings God to us. There's a lot of more images that we could, that we could, that we could uh, reflect on, and we're not going to do that. I want to give you just a couple more. 
there's this one moment when it says that this very one who is God, who is this grand, massive, large, expansive, cosmic God, is one who in Jesus became so near and personal that this Jesus is the one who is our brother. Did you hear that really powerful line when the Hebrew scripture said, he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Colossians says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. When God became human in Jesus Christ, God was not merely giving us some picture of what God is like. God was becoming one of us and in his own body becoming the brother of all humanity and all creation. This is a, an image and a truth that for the past year or so has really been working its way into me. And when I saw it in the lectionary reading, I was really eager to preach on it. And then this week, I have felt absolutely flat with any way to actually describe what I think I'm hearing and seeing. So I'm going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to be awakened in your imagination, to hear this reality that the God who is the God of all creation has in Jesus become your brother. The God of all creation, who is wholly other, who is beyond our wildest expectation or imagination, has in Jesus become your brother. And this opens up a wide field for us for what God is actually doing in Jesus Christ. Why is it that Jesus went to a cross and shed blood. These images that sometimes make us uneasy. Why is it that our brother did this? Well, Hebrews tells us that our brother Jesus came, and did you hear the line this morning, tasted death for everyone. What God did in Jesus is to become the true human, and do in humanity what we as humans were not able to do for ourselves, Because we are bound to death. Our lives are under the shroud of death. Our relationships are tortured by dying. Our hopes, our civic society... Everything that we know and hope in at some point seems like it begins to rot away, doesn't it? And yet the God who is human came and tasted death. And if you are a Hebrew Christian and you hear this language, tasted death, this is more than just, oh, I want a little morsel. What does that taste like? It is to consume something. When you consume something, you take something into yourself. We are not healed from death by some fiat, by God sort of, sort of waving a magic wand. God came and in Jesus literally consumed 
death, took it into his own body. It's why the church fathers would say over and over again something that Jaroslav Pelikan uh, uh, summarized. It's in the liturgy guide there. Whatever was not assumed in the incarnation was not healed in the redemption. The reason that Jesus became human in part, the reason why he died on a cross, is that Jesus, our brother, took into himself all of the death of this world and said, I will be the one who will consume it. I will be the one who will eat it up and heal it and overcome it. Jesus tasted death because he is our older brother. Because he's not ashamed to call us sister and brother. Because our older brother will not abandon us. When I was young, I had a younger sister. Her name was Vonda. She was four years younger than me. I've been reflecting recently on how strong a part of my identity in that season of my life it was to be her brother. My dad was just here, and uh, he was telling me, uh, actually telling all of us as we were coming back from Fuzzy Tacos, which is a weird name for a restaurant if you think about it. <laughs> we were coming back from Fuzzy Tacos, and he was telling some old family stories, and he was telling the story that I didn't even remember about. We were at a campground somewhere because we traveled, and we had a fifth-wheel trailer. And then I came into the, the trailer and told my dad that someone had, some, uh, some kid had, had pushed my sister down. And my dad said, well, you take care of her. So I went back out. And I came back in a few minutes later, and I was like, hey, Dad, I had to punch that kid um, because he, he pushed my sister down. He just pushed Fonda down again. And, and Wyatt and Seth loved hearing that story. I'm not sure if they, you know, seeing their dad punching somebody, and I'm not sure what I even think about that. But <laughs> there was definitely, there was something that I remember was a powerful and potent part of who I was. And now having two sons, because I always thought, wonder, what it would be like to have an older brother? It was part of me that always wanted to have that older brother kind of stuck up for you and watched out for you. And, um, and I, I love having two sons who are brothers together. And this year, um, for the first time, well, Seth's a freshman. They're both playing football at CHS. Um, Seth's on the JV, Wyatt's on the varsity. But uh, during the first week of practice, or early on in practice one day, they came home and they were telling me how they had walked into the coach's office and Coach saw them walk in together and goes, well, there come the Collier boys just, just in from bringing moonshine down the mountain. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I loved that. <laughs> I just, there's something, and I know that all of us haven't had this kind of brother. And so like all of our images, because we're human and we have human examples of this that aren't the same as God, some of this ultimately falls short. But I want to tell you that Jesus is your true brother. Jesus is your good brother. Jesus, in his own body, has joined his history to ours. Jesus has become one with our pain. Jesus has entered into 
the very depths of our experience and said, I am not just going to know about this. I am going to become the brother. And this is who God is for you. This is who God will be for you if you allow yourself to have it. So it's a pretty awful moment as a preacher when you realize there was one major thing you thought you were supposed to say in the sermon and you totally forgot to say it. So I'm going to take 60 seconds here. Um, there was this, there was this uh, very blunt moment in the gospel reading. You may have heard it where Jesus talked about adultery and divorce. And um, I think in a, a really potent way, what was happening there was actually Jesus playing the part of the elder brother. Um, if you'll notice in the gospel reading, it says that the Pharisees came to basically try to trip Jesus up. Um, the Pharisees were doing what men in power have done far too long in his, human history is we have used the system and used our power and our resources to um, disadvantage women. And this is exactly what was happening in the first century. The Pharisees took the law and found loopholes and basically said, men can discard women for whatever reason you want. And they came to ask Jesus about that. And Jesus was going to have absolutely none of it. And, and Jesus said well, that, no, you actually can't do that. Now, obviously, um, when you read more of Jesus and more, the, and more in the epistles, you get a little more nuanced uh, response to these really difficult questions. But I think Jesus in this moment and who he was talking to, this wasn't the time for nuance. <laughs> this wasn't the time to talk about the exceptions. This was time for Jesus to say, your vows absolutely mean something, and you cannot use your power to abuse women or absolutely anybody. Um, and so I think given that reading, given put together with Hebrews of Jesus as our elder brother, it was important for me to say that. Thank you for giving me a moment. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.